Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so delighted to be able to be connected with the wonders of technology to London, England, where the most extraordinary author, Oliver Soden, lives and writes and wrote a book that apparently is the sensation of England, literally a sensation. It's sensational for sure. We're just not as I don't think we're as well-read or well-educated in America, but you will still love Jeffrey the poet's cat. I think that the reason it has been embraced, Oliver, with such acclaim in England by your fellow brilliant authors, but Times Literary Supplement, all sorts of awards, is it because people in England actually read and understand poetry to begin with? The book is not poetry, folks. It's a novel. But is that the reason that people have such a deep appreciation of what you've done here? Oh, well, I don't know. Um, it is based around this poem, and I don't know how well the poem is known in America. Not this at all, as far as I know. We're such ignoramuses. I, I just, I'm just have to tell you that I believe that the oh, education. Oh no, I'm sure that isn't true. It is where poetry is concerned. <laughs> it is. I promise you. I have a friend who started a, a series of books called Hazel. I'm sure you've heard of them, and yes. they're all poetry, and they're done in extraordinary ways and with extraordinary parameters. But she, in her own way, has created this pocket of fascination and exuberance over these books. In America, we don't read poetry, Oliver. Not only do you read it and know who Christopher Smart is and know this poem around which you've based an amazing novel, but people appreciate poetry. And I really don't know a human in America who does. And I know people who read books. So isn't it lucky that you're in England where you can be... Uh, embrace for this book, Jeffrey the Poet's Cat, and now we in America can open our eyes to the gorgeousness of what you've done. You've taken a cat who really lived, who was extolled yes. by Christopher Smart, uh, unbeknownst to me, a brilliant and literally mad poet, yes. and you've created this this tale. Can you go back a couple of steps and talk about the moment where you thought, I could tell the a biography of this cat who belonged in the madhouse to a madman, genius, poet. 
Where did you think you could do that? It's so bold of you. And you did it with what seems to be courage and confidence. Well, thank you. I didn't have much confidence at the beginning. It was funny. I just completed another book, which was a very long, very serious book about a British composer. And I wanted a break. I wanted to do something completely different. And I was trying to think of a subject for a book. And then I realized that it had been staring me in the face because I have a cat. I have a lovely <laughs> pet cat who's, who's sitting with me right now. And I called that cat Jeffrey. I have my own cat, Jeffrey, oh. because I'd always known this wonderful poem that, as you say, a lot of British people know. It's in a lot of books here, a lot of anthologies. A lot of people have cats called Jeffrey named after no the poem. No kidding. A lot of cat Jeffreys. When the book came out on on Instagram and Twitter, people were sending me pictures of their cat that they'd called Jeffrey after this very famous no. poem. But but this poem, as you say, it was by an 18th century British writer, quite famous, who lived in London and who did suffer from some form of mental illness. And he was incarcerated in a lunatic asylum, as it was called then, in right. London. Right. And, we, and we know that he really, really had this real cat who lived in the middle of the 18th century called Geoffrey. And he wrote this extraordinary poem about him called For I Will Consider My Cat Geoffrey. And people, you know, there's a very famous cat on, um, on Twitter called Hodge, um, who belongs to Southwark Cathedral in, in London. And, and, and when the cathedral cats um, at, at Southwark in, in London die, the cathedral has, gives them a funeral, and they always read this poem, no I will consider my cat Geoffrey. So a lot of people know it. And I suddenly thought, we were driving along a road um, on the beach in Suffolk in England at the time, and I just suddenly realized that that real cat if I wrote a biography about him, um, would be a way of talking about 18th century London and about the poem and about Christopher Smart and all that world, and that the cat would be this, this way in to history, which I didn't think I'd quite seen done before, you know, that you'd look at history, but you'd look at it from ankle height. So <laughs> I, mean. I assure you it's never been done before. And what I find so adorable, I don't know what other word to use, is that you thought, well, this will be a walk in the park after my award-winning, shortlisted for other awards, <laughs> uh, biography of the composer Michael Tippett. Let's do something easy. We'll do all of London in the 18th century, and we'll learn about bordellos, and we'll learn about lunatic asylums, and we'll also try to tell the whole thing from the point of view of a cat so famous that you were treading on hallowed ground just to write about him, which I didn't even <laughs> understand. It's so extraordinary, the difference culturally between our two countries that seem to share one language. I can read yes. your book just fine. I feel all the feelings that you've incorporated, and, and I feel that I've taken a trip through London and learned more about about brothels than I ever knew there was to know. I mean, lunatic or, asylums or as well. But oh my God, Nancy, yes. the 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 prostitute. I I feel very close to her because she was so good to Jeffrey the cat and the fleas in her bed and when her customers were there and the cat interrupting them. I mean, it's divine. <laughs> it's really. I really. I mean, he did really live, but you have brought him to life in 
an amazing way, but it's so funny that you think of this as, I'll just do something fun and light and easy. In America, this would be someone would take eight years and get very serious <laughs> and wear a bow tie while talking about it. I mean, that's what biographers do in America. Well, I didn't wear a bow tie, I promise you. But, you know, it was funny. I, I did start off thinking it would be fun. And then it was much harder than I expected it to be because I, I did, because he was a real cat, as, as you say, it's a novel. It, it, it has bits of fiction in it because obviously we don't know very much about the real cat because he didn't leave an archive for us to <laughs> search. You know, there aren't any nice letters or diaries or things. So I had to make things up, but I was determined it was going to be as accurate as possible. So I, in the end, it was much harder than I ever thought it would be when I had the original idea. And I had to go and read about the London at the time. Yes. And I had to read biographies of Christopher Smart and work out how it was all going to work, you know. Well, clearly, that's your idea of fun, is, is mental well, gymnastics, yes, that's true. because the book <laughs> is really fun. I'd love, if you would, to, to just invite you to read a short passage so people get a sense of how accessible the book is and how accessible the cat and Christopher Smart and the whole story is. I mean, it's a yarn in the truest sense of like Chaucerian, but in language that we can understand. It is rather like Canterbury Tales or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's, no, it's I like that. The, I like it, that. I, it feels like that to me, you know, kind of picaresque and all these characters and and it's so real, and you can smell and feel all the the sights and sounds and odors of of a, of a time when there was raw sewage running in the streets in a good way. Yes. It's so yes. real. Oh well, this is this is music to my ears because it's lovely to hear that it's worked. Oh, know, for, fully, sure fully. It was going to. I mean, you. I'm very pleased. You you suggested I read the beginning of chapter yes, three. Yes, please. Which I'm very pleased about because it's a um it's the moment in the book where this real cat jeffrey is first brought into the lunatic asylum to meet this mad poet whom he was going to comfort in this very very dark hour so so here it is on his first day in the asylum jeffrey now nine years old and approaching middle age took refuge under a simple wooden bed frame over the next three hours he stared suspiciously out at a small, plain room with whitewashed walls and a chair in which, evidently, a man was sitting, in stillness and in silence. Christopher Smart did not try to coax Geoffrey out of the bed, which, of course, meant that Geoffrey ventured out all the quicker to discover the portly, slightly swollen, completely bald man sitting so still and silent in the chair, smelling of sweat and tobacco. The cat found that to look into the small, dark eyes was to fall into the scummy black water of a deep well, mildewed with sadness and weariness, while on the play of its surface there flickered a wild and wayward intelligence. In future years, he would not tire of the depths of experience they contained, nor their habit of shifting from shiny radiance to a matte vacancy, tarnishing with a shift of the cloud. Underneath the eyes were a small, sharp nose, thin lips, a chin rolling into a stubbled neck, and cobwebs of veins spun in the creases and pouches of this fascinating face. Smart, very slowly, held his sausage fingers out in front of him. Ink had crusted under his ridged nails and dried in blotches on his skin. Geoffrey, 
very slowly and after a full minute's appraisal pushed his nose quite forcefully into the outstretched hand which balled itself into a fist the exact size of his head and for some seconds the man's fist and the cat's head pushed into each other. Tremors shot through Geoffrey's tail which stood upright shivering as if in a gust of cold wind and from then on they were friends. My goodness. <laughs> that that was read so beautifully and I didn't realize in reading it since it really carried me long as a as this this bouncy tale how poetic your language is. I'm sorry that I didn't realize it until you read it aloud. Every word is just the perfect carefully chosen almost poetic word but it's still prose. Oh, well, thank you. It's gorgeous. You, I mean, I feel that I'm the last to this party, by the way, Oliver. I mean, the no, cover no, of the book it's... has Alexander McCall Smith, one of the most beautiful and haunting books of recent times. Hilary Mantel, recently uh, deceased, yes. uh, you know, such an extraordinary author, inspired and original. Times of London supplement to be a book to be cherished. But the number of people and the number of fancy publications highbrow publications that embraced your book with many, many paragraphs of praise. It just goes to show that sometimes a simple American can read it and think, wow, <laughs> just think in that all-American way, I just thought, wow, this is some marvelous book. And any cat lover oh, well, will go mad for it. I mean, your your description of the fist to the head as a way of, as if bumping foreheads with another cat almost. And and just this tremor that goes through the cat's body. Everything is described. Well, it's a good thing to know you do live with and love a cat who happens to also be named Jeffrey because you really understand everything about how cats move and think and feel and react. It's so well, the, genuine. Oh, I'm so pleased because obviously you know cats very, very well, so you're a good judge. But it, the whole thing was about trying to get down on paper everything that you and I and your listeners love about living with cats. And I have another cat. I have a female cat called Maud, who is always telling me that I should do a book called Maud now, <laughs> you know, as a sequel. She's very upset that I've left her behind. Um, but the, the, the tail shivering is something she does a lot more than her brother. I don't know if it's a female cat thing, but she, her tail, when she's pleased, it, you know, you get these little tremors and it sort of shakes and she rubs it along. In fact, she's sitting right in front of me now. And she's doing it. So it was all about looking at these two cats and working out all the beauty of their movements and yes. how they respond to animals and all the things that make living with them so special, you know. And it is, I think, what makes the book special. It comes from a place of such genuine love and appreciation and respect. You have so much respect for the character, the, Jeff the Jeffrey character, as you clearly do. If you have respect for one cat, one has respect for all cats because all of them yeah. are other than us and all of them need to be understood on their terms, not on our terms. And I think that yes. is one of the great things about the story is that Jeffrey weaves in and out of the lives of people to whom he brings comfort and bring him some comfort, but he makes choices. And I think that's another yes. important thing that you, that you really bring out without hitting it, the, the nail on the head is this cat had choices and he chose to stay with this old failing man in a in a madhouse because he well, was he loved and needed. Exactly. And cats 
don't make judgments in the way humans do. You know, all the characters in my book that, that this cat meets, you know, you, you have a prostitute in, in London yes. who is lo- looked down upon by everyone else. You have a mad poet whom everyone has abandoned. And of course, the cat doesn't care. He doesn't do those human things of judging people That's on those right. terms. He, and of course, Christopher Smart was meant to be mad. He was meant to have visions. And I like the idea that the cat can see things that we can't and understands this supposedly mad visionary poet in a way that the other humans don't and that they are on a a level of being able to see things together. Because I always think that cats can tune in to things that humans can't, you know. That comes out in your writing that you believe that and anyone who loves cats and and has that communication and connection to them, they feel it too. But the words you that you use to describe it are really quite luminous and illuminating about the, the human-feline bond and, and felines in general and how they share our lives. But the fact that you said it at a time that most of us might have seen in some, you know, period movie or vaguely remember from reading Dickens or somebody, yes. you know, it's yes. it's so immediate and real and using modern language to recall the past in a way that brings everything to life. Oliver, it's a, a really remarkable book. And as I say, I'm just piling on, you know, the cherry on top of the, the cake that everybody else has baked on your behalf. It's a great well, book. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. It's Thank a great you. book and a beautifully made book physically. It feels good. It, it's substantial. In, it's paperback, but it's substantial. And I don't know. It's just altogether better. Some things British are just altogether better. And this book is certainly one of them. Jeffrey, the poet's cat. Oliver, Oliver Soden, you've done an amazing job. I really do think you best get back to work and make Maud happy. <laughs> think of some place you could exactly. put Maud and give her a book. Will you do that? Will you try? I will do that. I'll, I'll, I'll pass on to her your Excellent. I'll Excellent. try and think of the sequel. Right. And, and, and in this case, just have more fun. This is your idea of fun. Excellent. Have more fun. Exactly. Thank I'll you so much for being here and for writing this gorgeous book. And thank you, Tracy. A real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Weimer runner Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimer runner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their Cradle melts. And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.